0: It being Kansas week, I don't have too many non-Caleb Williams hot takes teed up, so I wanted to take this brief moment to touch on something I've continuously forgotten to mention since the spring. I never fessed up and admitted to being wrong about Trey Norwood, so here you go. I was wrong about Trey Norwood. And if you recall, I was a vocal critic of Trey throughout his entire tenure at OU. I thought he was too small, not physical, and although I acknowledged that he frequently was in the right spot, I thought his physical limitations capped his potential pretty dramatically. I was a consistent advocate of playing Buki over him, just so we can hammer home my level of dedication here. I thought it was ludicrous that he left early to go to the NFL draft, thinking there was no way he'd even get drafted. Well, I was wrong. He was drafted in the seventh round by the Steelers, and head coach Mike Tomlin was downright giddy to land him. Turns out, he had reason to be excited. Norwood has played an important role on a top 10 Steelers defense in the NFL. He's only started one game, but is one of only two defensive backs in the league that has yet to allow a 15 plus yard completion with over 100 snaps played in coverage. This past Sunday, he was the second highest graded defensive back in the entire league in week six, and he made a handful of big third down stops on Sunday night football against the Seahawks. As the defense was going through the horrid 2017 and 2018 seasons on that side of the ball, did you ever think it would be Trey Norwood that would be carrying the flag in the pros for the OU secondary? I certainly did not, and am very happy to admit how wrong I was. Cheers to Trey Norwood, an underrated Sooner Jim. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest.
1: Look, he's just looking at the Kansas sideline. Uh, right there. Now, that's they're inappropriate. That's inappropriate, uncalled for. And that right there, NFL GMs are going to see that and they're going to mark it down saying that's not what we want in the National Football League. It's not what Lincoln Riley wants at Oklahoma. It's not what we want in college football.
2: Ah, Baker Mayfield has certainly matured a little bit since that memorable day in Lawrence back in 2017. Hey everybody! This is West of Everest. I am Lee Benson, and I wanted to have a little bit of fun there with that intro today. I believe that audio is courtesy of Bob Waschusen and Greg McElroy. Uh, again, that's from Oklahoma's win over Kansas back in 2017. Baker Mayfield and the KU fans did not get along that day. The Jayhawks are on deck for the Sooners, which means barring an epic disaster of which we have never seen before, the Sooners will improve to eight and zero this Saturday. Yeah, Kansas is bad once again and somehow is probably even worse than they were back in 2017. Uh, And Grant has a couple stats on this as we get to him later on. Yes, uh, this Kansas team currently is a worse version than what the Sooners saw four years ago when Oklahoma beat them by 38 points. But here's the thing. You're not here today to hear us break down Kansas from every single angle. There's no chance that's a thing. Instead, you are here for us to figure out what's going on with the Oklahoma defense Uh, We're going to figure out if it's possible to say anything else positive about Caleb Williams that has not already been said. And of course, if you really like this podcast quite a bit, you can stick around to the very end when we talk Big 12 and we talk about college football around the nation, including our weekly five game picks. Joining me today to talk all things Oklahoma, a man who talked me out of starting Baker Mayfield over Kyler Murray in fantasy football this past week. But it didn't matter at all anyways, because our team could not buy a touchdown. That man is Grant Benson,
0: honestly, I don't even know that we lost in fantasy this week i was uh wasn't super locked in on that one. I just for whatever reason, I just kind of assumed we did, but I don't know, but yeah, what yeah, I mean, you're crazy I mean you were like you were like, gosh i I really think we should seriously consider." sitting kyler this week and i was i yeah that's when i i I told you my number one principle in fantasy don't play matchups always just play the best player no matter what
2: Uh, yeah no i was i was i mean they there wasn't that big of a difference only five points difference but uh in that league we're in five points is actually quite a bit in times but it didn't matter nobody else scored a touchdown so it it didn't didn't matter at all but uh so i i wanted to get your thoughts i Did you listen to the audio from the Kansas game that I sent you earlier from the announcers criticizing
0: Baker Mayfield? Did you listen to that? Uh, I mean, I I didn't even know you sent it to me, but I'm mean i familiar with it. I remember it. Uh, Well, this isn't going to work as well then because, yeah, well,
2: you say you remember it, but if you listen to it again four years later, I laughed because it's uh, obviously what Baker Mayfield was doing. It was when they were showing him looking over at the Kansas sideline and you could read his lips he was telling Kansas fans to f off and he was grabbing his junk and it was that was the thing that like everyone was like getting all up in arms about and falling under their fainting couches and the announcers <laughs> listening to it you know four years later it's just funny because Baker Mayfield has gone on to play in the NFL he won the rookie of the year he's been for the most part really good he hasn't been that good this season unfortunately how much of that is because of the injuries I don't know uh, this year, he's not been playing very well. But ultimately, he's been a, a good NFL quarterback. And it's just funny listening to that. So if you get a chance, whatever. I sna- I sent it to you on Snapchat. But it's it just kind of funny going back into the past and listening to
0: it. I mean, don't, don't, they, like, heard it. don't they treat it like it's like a human rights violation? Like, oh, God, yeah, that's just that's dis- like was like Joe Buck losing his mind over the Randy Moss mooning thing, where uh. she's like, that is disgusting. Like, come on. Yeah, come it's on, something Joe.
2: like, oh, it's, that's not what. That's not what Lincoln Riley wants to see in his program. That's not what us as college football fans want to see in college football. That's not what NFL GMs are going to want to see in college. And it's just kind of like, all right, yeah, sure, but let's not get carried away here. Uh, and like, like we're not going to say like, oh, it's a good thing he did that. I'm not, I'm not saying that. It's uh, a our, good thing that he did that. It, okay, it, we are saying that. We are saying that clearly, it's good that. Clearly it was a good thing. <laughs> It was the right move, and it's probably why he was drafted number one overall. The point that I always like to bring up when it comes to anything like this is always it's so easy to be the dude or the person that gets on your high horse and says, oh, I can't believe it. That's the worst thing. It's like we get it, man. You're, you're not a better person than everybody else by saying that. Whenever something is obviously like not normally acceptable you don't have to then voice your opinion like you're the first person that's thought of this i'm the first person that actually is going to say this is bad and that always just kind of annoys me because it just seems like okay we get it man whatever you don't have to go all in on it and that's what those guys did during that and it you know it was a blowout so they were trying to find things to talk about as well i'm sure that may have factored
0: in he got suspended for the first series in the next game after that he did and that was and, <laughs> it was the game where he was suspended. as like I think he got his like the, his captain his captainship taken away too. And didn't Orlando Brown carry out a Baker Mayfield jer- <laughs> jersey to the coin dust?
2: Yeah, and credit to Eddie <laughs> like he was Eddie for <laughs> for tweeting a picture of that earlier today or earlier this week because uh, you know Jake Trotter who used to be on the OUB I think tweeted something like that. This is the first time Baker Mayfield's going to miss a start since I don't even know when maybe since early Texas Tech or maybe even high school and Jake Trotter obviously covers the Browns and by the way this is Wednesday Baker was ruled out so Baker's going to miss a game and uh, yeah we all know we all remember Baker missed that start against West Virginia when Kyler started for the one series and yes Eddie posted a picture a screenshot of Orlando Brown with Baker's jersey like yes like it's like Baker had tragically passed <laughs> I can't I can't say it without because it's, it's, it's funny in this sense because Baker's fine. It's just, I mean, it's, it's, almost, it's almost on the same level as the announcers. We get it. The players wanted to show their support for Baker Mayfield, but they almost went way over the top because that's normally something that you see for somebody who has passed away. You take their jersey out and you honor them because they are no longer there. They're not there. Baker was on the sideline. <laughs> he played the second series. <laughs> That that he was is literally so in the fun.
0: locker room with him. That's so. <laughs> Parts of me, part of me hopes that they knew that that they like knew it was a bit. And they knew it was hilarious, and that's why they did Hopefully. it. Hopefully, I hope so. But God, I mean, just going back to that though. Remember how how like how much that drove the news cycle for a week. I'm gonna use that like in the future, just like when when people are freaking out about certain things, just to use that as evidence of just like man, a lot of this is just being in the moment. Because, geez, four years later, who cares about that? It's obviously now just a funny, like, footnote to that season. That's it.
2: Man, that's my go-to for so many things. Whenever you realize you're talking about something that is uninteresting or it's getting away from you and you don't have anything to put on it at the end, you just say, who cares? Because really, who cares? And that's a perfect example of a, man, who cares? But at the same time, it is pretty funny to talk about it. I got a pretty good laugh out of that. (laughs) <laughs> okay, uh, let's talk about the <laughs> what's happening currently in Oklahoma football. Our last episode, we focused almost exclusively on Caleb Williams and the Oklahoma offense. Didn't talk much about the defense. The defense is what it is right now. I think that's what you said. It's not that good. It's not very good. And it's also quite injured at this point. So today, I want to start the podcast with the defense because it's obviously the Sooners'
0: biggest issue at the moment,
2: I went back and rewatched the game. I can't remember. Did you rewatch the game
0: before the last podcast or have you done? Any yeah, rewatch? I, I did it. I did it before the last one. So, I, yeah, I mean, I I came away thinking the defense wasn't as bad as they looked in person uh, rewatching it again, just because you, you can kind of see plays from different angles. You can you can see some of the good plays that they did make, um, but it was still bad. I mean, they still still gave up a lot of easy yards. Exactly. And here's where I want to
2: start. I want to start with
0: something we we touched on
2: briefly in the last episode because it was our post-game podcast. We didn't have a whole lot of time to think it through, and it was somewhat new. Now I've had time to think about it and watch the game back. Let's talk about Billy Bowman starting at corner opposite of DJ Graham. And the starters that game was Bowman and Graham at corner, and Justin Burrells was the nickel, and he had Key Lawrence and Pat Fields as the two safeties. Those are your five defensive back. And my my first thought is – I think back to all of the talk in the offseason about all of that depth Oklahoma had at corner. It was clearly just talk. It was simply talk, and talk is cheap. Grant, remember how excited we were about the potential of that cornerback room? Let me go through all the names here, just to remind you and the listeners. Woody Washington and DJ Graham were one-two. We knew that in August going in, yes. But even after the top two, we were excited for veteran Jaden Davis. He's there. We figured he'd play a lot. Then you've got Latrell McCutcheon coming in. A lot of positive reviews from him in spring ball and the fall, a blue chip recruit. Josh Eaton going into his second season. He was an intriguing player. We found out that Justin Harrington was working with the corners. We all thought that Harrington last year could maybe be a starter at safety before he got hurt. And now he's going to move over to corner. We thought, okay, that's kind of interesting. We thought he might have the talent to to play a lot in 2020. Now he's going to be... Working at corner, man. That must be a deep position group. That's six names I gave you, six corners we heard about in the preseason. The top two, of course, we were really confident in Woody and DJ Graham. All right, Woody Washington's injured. He's out, and he might be perhaps he might be out perhaps for the entire season. And I know I talked about it an episode or two ago. I, I briefly mentioned Woody Washington, and maybe optimistically he could be back after the bye. I want to amend that. I think from the reading the tea leaves what i've heard getting woody washington after the bye week sounds super super optimistic and i I hope i'm wrong about that but at this point woody coming back before the end of the regular season would be a surprise based on the things that i've heard again i hope i'm wrong about that but don't count on woody washington being back anytime soon but even with woody washington out DJ Graham, Jaden Davis. Not too shabby, right? You're like, okay, that's, that's cool. Not, not too bad at the start. You got a guy that's super talented. He's young, but he's talented. And a guy that's a veteran that has put some good tape on film, some bad tape. This is going into the year, but a lot of good tape on film. And then you got the hopes of Latrell McCutcheon. Maybe he's a really good freshman. We saw Woody Washington and DJ Graham be pretty good freshmen last year. Maybe this guy could be a pretty good freshman too. And then you got Eaton and Harrington also fighting out for snaps. But none of that has played out It's gotten to the point, and this is getting back to the TCU game, where Alex Grinch felt that his best move against TCU, Grant, was to move Billy Bowman from nickel to corner, effectively usurping Jaden Davis, Latrell McCutcheon, and Josh Eaton. And we've talked about it before. Justin Harrington is reportedly in the transfer portal, although he's still on Oklahoma's online roster, for whatever that's worth. But I haven't seen him out on the field. Granted, I wasn't looking for him on the field this past Saturday. So all that depth. All of that awesome competition we expected between all of those potentially talented players in the fall—it has not been a thing. Seven games into the season, and that's incredibly discouraging, Grant. That's my first thought about this this OU TCU defensive performance.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's disappointing. It's it's really disappointing. So, um, yeah, hey, I thought Woody Washington was a big piece. I never I never imagined him getting hurt would. I mean, at times, would mean that the secondary would unravel, um, and I mean, let's—the secondary has been bad, man. I mean, it's teams can teams are doing whatever they want through the air right now. I mean, especially if the pass rush isn't getting home. Oh, uh, you just—they can't cover. Like they—they, they, you know, they haven't been able to make plays on the ball. They're getting beat pretty easily over the middle of the field. I—they, I mean, per Alex Grinch, they can't even play zone coverage. So. Um, Well you're reading
2: you're reading into what you're reading into what he said a couple of weeks ago, right?
0: Yeah. I mean after yeah, what is it? (laughs) The the Kansas State game, after after the K State game, I think. Um it's the it's an eye discipline thing. Yeah. According to Grinch. But yeah, I mean they're they're really banged up. They really need someone to, you know, they need they need DTY to get healthy big time. Um and hey, you know, it's it's not gonna be like oh now all of a sudden they're like a top twenty defense with him on the field. I don't think that's gonna help. It'll just it'll just kinda help um Woody yeah I mean that's it's discouraging to hear on on Woody I think at this point in time he's missed a he's missed a vast majority of the year already I think at that point it's just like hey you kind of I sort of kind of write him off I I just don't really think we should expect him back and I I don't I'm not what I I mean you're the only information I know is the stuff that you just said so um I don't know it's it's been tough I, I think by far the most disappointing part is just the is is the regression I think of Jaden Davis and he's like he's been bad this year he's been he he, he's just been very leaky uh other wide receivers other teams have been have been picking on him pretty consistently and to a lot of success
2: yeah and I think what you just said there and our what our eyes have told us is or was confirmed by Alex Grinch by the fact that he moved Billy Bowman to corner and started him essentially over Jaden Davis On Saturday. I mean, that, and it's not even only over Jaden Davis. It's basically starting him over also Latrell McCutcheon and also Josh Eaton. Uh, And by the way, in the second quarter of that game, about midway-ish through the second quarter, DJ Graham was knocked out. And so you had your top two guys out. DJ Graham missed the rest of the game. And so it was just Davis, McCutcheon, Eaton, all kind of getting their shot opposite of Billy Bowman, who hasn't even played corner up until that game. And this is obvious, but I'll just put it out there just so I can spell it out for everyone. It's just it's telling us that in practice, nobody is separating themselves. And all we're getting in the cornerback room is just a bunch of average to mediocre to below mediocre play. Uh, aside from what DJ Graham has provided, which he, nobody's really going after DJ Graham in the last couple of weeks. It's all been kind of to to the side of the field opposite of him. So, yeah, I, I get injuries are, are bad. And I'll bring up... You, By the way, I like your take about Trey Norwood, your opening take. And, you know, for the record, I'll go on there. I mean, I was a big Trey Norwood guy, sure. But I also was with you as in I didn't think he should have gone to the NFL. I think he should have stayed for another year. I didn't think he'd get drafted. And he is, in that sense, he has definitely exceeded my expectations for the NFL. I thought he needed another year to get a little bit bigger. And it turns out his his football IQ, his savviness, his – Ability to play and coverage is obviously helping, and he's been a good piece for the Steelers, so good on him. So him being out of the lineup, and then I haven't heard much about Trey Brown. I think I saw you might have made a play the other night against the Steelers for the Seahawks. He hadn't really been uh, healthy.
0: He, he, he just got activated, I oh, think, okay. pretty recently.
2: And so Trey Brown is a guy that, sure, he got drafted, and but you know we criticized him quite a bit just because... His technique never seemed to get any better. He had poor technique. He was too physical and not in a good way. He would grab, tug, he'd commit a lot of penalties. He was easily the most uh, penalized player in the secondary for like two or three years, and he was there. And so I just wasn't sure how that would translate to the NFL because they're going to call a lot more penalties there. So, but you know, now what we're seeing defensively, they're not being called for as many penalties in the secondary. That's not been a thing. Uh, but yeah, the last three games they're giving up a lot of yards, man. I mean, over 300 yards. They haven't
0: been sticky enough to be called to have penalties called on them. Um, uh, yeah, it's I actually, I mean, it's kind of it's it's real. It is one of those things where you kind of look back on it and you think to yourself, hey, I mean, maybe with you know it, the state where this defense was in, where this secondary is when it went, you know when Alex Grinch got here, maybe just losing two guys that got drafted, even if they were fourth and seventh round guys. Is really detrimental to a to a defense that's going through, kind of like a culture change still, like OU's is, and I mean I I mean it's it's super easy to say right now. I mean this the defense Trey Norwood would be invaluable this season to this defense right now, clearly. Um, and, and, so, and so I so mean, would Trey Brown. So <laughs> Trey yeah, Brown I mean would, so would Trey. Would well, I yeah. guess uh, Trey Brown didn't have any eligibility left though, so I mean that's kind of why I like he did. Tech- he he could he, like he could come back for. Actually, yeah, he did. He was yeah. twenty seventeen because yeah, yeah. the
2: co- yeah. Well, and and the COVID thing, everyone got next year because of that, right? So he technically could have came back.
0: But yeah, I mean that was his that was his fourth year in college, his fourth season in college though. Yeah. That was his third his third as a starter. It made sense for him to move on. Um, sure. Trey Norwood, him getting hurt and him not playing a ton in the last you know two. Like he didn't. You know, he didn't play a ton the first half of last year either. Um, just getting healthy. So it made a lot more sense for him to come back. But I mean it doesn't matter now. It doesn't matter they're they're in the NFL and oh you just it just kind of is what it is right now. It's just like kind of where it's like I'm I understand sort of the fatal flaws of the team and, and the defense, but Caleb Williams being a thing has sort of energized me a little bit to the point where it's just like hey, you know, I could acknowledge those things, but I don't really care right now. I you know, I mean it's I've and and maybe that's silly. Maybe that's And it's, I don't, it's, it's, you know, I don't care in the sense that, like, this stuff doesn't interest me and I don't want to talk about it. But it's just, it's more of just like, I don't know. I mean, the defense sucking is not, is not really bringing me down too much. Um, because I, and there's, there's probably different reasons for that. You know, I mean, I think, I think the big difference between this defense and the, the really bad ones that we saw, you know, in half of 2016 and all of 17 and 18 is that I think, you know, the, the ceiling on the pass rush is a lot higher on this team. And I know we're going to, we're gonna talk about the defensive line later and about the expectations of that and whatnot but um I, I think we can all agree that the ceiling that the defensive line is flash is much higher than than those teams and that I think it's it's not as crazy to think in situations maybe where OU's offense is scoring a lot and the other team has to has to keep up. I don't think it would surprise anybody for OU's defense to be able to to have a lot of quick change stops just based off of defensive line pressure, which I think you know if if Caleb Williams is who we think he is based on the first seven quarters that we've seen him play, six and a half quarters, and oh, you can start scoring a lot of points, I, I think maybe that's probably the half glass full sort of interpretation of the defense right now. Maybe the offense can, can, can get going and that just kind of ramps up the pressure that the defense can put on. But no, I mean, I think they're going to, it is what it is. They're going to give up chunk passing plays the rest of the season. I mean, that's 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 just the truth of it. the The one good thing is that for the most part, the best passing teams on their roster and are, are on the rearview mirror. You know, I mean, I think uh, Texas is probably the best passing team that they're going to play in the Big 12 this year. Um, you know, TCU didn't didn't throw the ball honestly great at all this season until this past Saturday. Um, you know, we know Iowa State can kind of throw it, but they've never been a big explosive play type person. But geez, I mean, this oh. So, this OU, they have been against Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, this OU defense, though. I mean, they give up a lot of easy yards, and we know Iowa State will take those anytime you know anytime they can. So we'll see. I don't know. I mean, we're we're back to hoping that the offense can cover up a lot of these mistakes, and then uh, with that added kind of wild card of you know let's you know get Jalen Redmond back on that defensive line, and hopefully they can get hot. And and I, I like I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility, right? That the offense stays hot and the D line just gets hot if if you know the more the more that they get healthy.
2: Sure, and I'll just add to what you're saying as far as you know, not, not too concerned or you know, you're still excited because of Caleb Williams. I get what you're saying, and I'm kind of there as well. From my perspective, Caleb Williams' addition and the offense starting to play the way we expect the Oklahoma offense to play, to me, it, it just it kind of buys time now. It, it buys more time for the defense to try to figure out what the heck's going on against – Obviously, Kansas is not very good. Texas Tech's got a good offense. Uh, I mean, they can move the ball a little bit. So, you know, we'll see about that. Then the bye week, and then you have the three big games. But, you know, at, at this point in the year, it's like they are kind of what they are. They, they run their defense. They, they shouldn't need time to figure it out, right? That's kind of the, the, the discouraging thing. But still, time helps, especially with injuries, because, man, yeah, maybe maybe getting a DeLarian-Turner-Yell back healthy is a, a you know maybe bigger than we thought, and obviously a Jalen Redmond. Maybe that is a, a bigger than we you know maybe before the season would have anticipated it being. Considering before the year, we thought this depth was going to be so big that it really wouldn't matter if guys were missing here and there for a decent amount of time.
0: Hey, you know, I I do think I think the Redmond piece actually is really important just because he's a dynamic player. He's a guy that that can wreck a play even when the offense does everything right. Um, and so yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's it's. You know, when Redmond was healthy, it was it was sort of a neck and neck race between him and it for the for the second best player on the defense. I think so. Um, yeah, I, I think Redmond, you know, getting back is going to be important, and um, he he's a guy I got to think. You know, it's it's not unrealistic at all to to see you know him back by the bye week. I don't think that's kind of when he got hurt. I think the word on hit was it was going to be a three or four week thing, and I think that's kind of right where we are right now. Um, my thoughts on him mostly are just like I kind of. Just get healthy. Take this time to get healthy. Um, but DTY, I mean, we we know DTY is going to help the tackling in the secondary, which is a huge problem right now. Yeah, exactly. And
2: uh, yeah, no, I I'm, I'm with you. I think Jalen Redmond, his addition is him back on that field because for the reasons that you provided is is a big thing. Yeah, because he does find a way to blow up plays. It seems like maybe more so than others, or maybe not even that, but just yeah, that extra guy in there that. Is more capable of being explosive, and you know sliding by somebody or just overpowering somebody more so than maybe what they have behind him. There's a reason why he was playing as many snaps as he was. He was one—I mean, essentially one of the top two guys before he, he he went out. I do want to talk a little bit about Billy Bowman. You know how how did he play? And you know, it's kind of been accepted that he didn't play very well. And you know, he'll have to bounce back and, and whatnot. And yeah, he didn't play well. I mean, he gave up a couple touchdowns. Uh, you know the the first one in the first half, uh, I didn't think it was I didn't think it was horrible. Uh, he he just he didn't turn his head the right way. And that's the thing, it's man, I, I guess this is this must be really difficult. It's a lot more difficult than I remember it being. I've never played college football at this level, so obviously it's different there. But it's it just it seems awkward. I mean, whenever you're giving six to seven yards of cushion and you relatively when the guy breaks to the post, I'm talking about the touchdown in the first half. And Bowman was kind of with him for that. And at that point, you gotta look and you gotta read the guy's eyes and, and have a feel for it. But he when he did that, he turned to the the wrong side. Like he turned like away from him and got turned around and it was awkward. And I just don't understand how naturally you do that. So it's almost like he was in decent position until the end, and then he got called for a penalty for a PI. That wasn't great. Another situation where they got the seventy-five yard touchdown pass where it was a, a deep pass and he didn't turn his head. And it's just it's Learning how to turn your head is seemingly kind of what he has to figure out. And he's not playing any press yet. At least I didn't see a whole lot of press. And so if he's having problems not playing press, that's not great. That's not great. He's got to get better. So I yeah, we'll see if they continue, if he's gonna get out there again. I mean, it's Kansas, so I'm sure they'll give him another, you know, some more reps against Kansas, why not? And then on the other hand, you got Joshua Eaton who came in later in that game. And I went back and watched the play where he almost had the interception, but it was taken away from him. And I think on the last podcast, you said Grant, yeah, or you said Lee, go back and watch that. It actually just was a great play by Johnston. Eaton did a lot of good things. He just got the ball taken from him. And you're right, that was a. He, it was perfectly played, executed perfectly up until the very end, and he got out muscled by a guy who's bigger than him. And that's that's an issue. That can't happen. You got you got to go up there strong and bring it down. He's somewhat young. But it is encouraging that that was one of the most technically sound plays I've seen a defensive back make this year because he was steady with his hips. He turned and ran with the guy. He read Johnson's eyes, turned and found the football, and went up and made a play on it. That's perfect textbook. And then he didn't bring it down because Johnson is just stronger. So I would like to see him play more just based on that one snap. I want to see Josh Wheaton get some more run out there because that looked like somebody who has a good feel for that position, at least in that one particular instance. So that's my thoughts on Bowman and Eaton. Do you have any more thoughts on those two players?
0: No, I mean, I'd like to see Eaton play more. Um, but you're right. I mean, it really is just based on that one snap where he, you know, he looks good. You know, his his length plays well, and it was just nice. That was a nice play that he made on the ball. Um, it's just, yeah, I mean, it just, it just turned out really unfortunate in the end. Um Bowman, I'm not too concerned about. I just, I, I think that really is, that was more of an emergency thing. Um, and I think they just, they kind of have you know, the semi-luxury of they knew that they could move over, they knew that they could move over Broyles to Nickel. Um, so I, I'm not too, I'm not too insanely worried about that. Although I guess, I mean, you did say, so it, it, Bowman essentially started for Jaden Davis. Yeah. 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 Bowman started the game. Wow.
2: Yeah, and he played. He played the whole game. Uh, I mean, maybe there was a couple of series where it was. Uh, I mean, like when DJ Graham was in there still, maybe they they brought Davis in for Bowman to go across uh, opposite DJ Graham. But I don't remember it. And once DJ Graham went out, from my, my memory, it was it was all Bowman, and then it was either Davis or Eaton over there on the. Uh, yeah, uh, am I missing somebody? And, and McCutcheon, McCutcheon because uh, he had the, the strip of the ball that, that uh, Deshaun White recovered. So yeah, but yeah, Bowman started the game, and that's, that's why, you know, the very beginning of the podcast where, was like, Alex Grinch decided that after all this week of practice, the best move would be to move this nickel over to play corner ahead of Jaden Davis, Latrell McCutcheon, and Joshua Eaton. Oh, boy. What does that mean? that mean that all three of those guys had bad weeks of practice? Because a lot of this is week to week with Alex Grinch. He's told us that. He told us that practice determines a lot of how, a lot of who plays, which is interesting. I've never heard a coach be that into practice, at least outwardly to the public.
0: I mean, that makes sense, uh, right? See. I mean, I, right? I mean, it's if great, you're not, it, it, if, it's if, a great if, message if, to your team. Yeah, if you're not doing what they want in practice, it's like I mean, it's it's pretty easy to justify not playing on Saturday. Um. Right. I mean, if you're not if you're not doing exactly what you're asked to of practice, like how how as a coach, how can you justify oh, ah we're just gonna throw him out there to see if he if he plays well in a game, but he's not playing well in practice.
2: This the alternative to that though is let's say DJ Graham kind of has an off week, and man, Jaden Davis is looking awesome out there. I, it's just it's hard to imagine DJ Graham still not starting. You know, and and even when Woody Washington was healthy. And I'm not saying that's what was, was happening because I, I, I doubt that's what was happening. But that's, that's the only reason I bring it up is like, ah, oh, I wonder if that's actually a thing that has happened, which is not too crazy because of how much Alex Grinch rotates players. Just because you start doesn't mean anything, really. You, you're gonna, you get taken out the next series and not play for three or four series. I do want to say this because this kind of caught my eye or caught my ear, and I'm sure probably a lot of OU fans as well. Lincoln Riley was incredibly positive and praiseworthy of justin Broyles, and he said that justin Broyles has probably been oklahoma's best secondary player this season so i was trying to wrap my head around that i don't think Broyles has been bad not going me be wrong i think he's been justin Broyles, and to his credit he has been somebody who is flexible and my thinking is that riley is mainly talking about his flexibility playing safety then playing now nickel and and doing okay uh, he, had a, he had a big pass breakup at the end of the game against tcu He's been, he's been fine. He, he hasn't made any, any wow, incredible plays, but I don't recall any times where you see a play a, you know, an explosive play happen and you're like, ah, it looked like Justin Broyles was, was the response for that. So I think he's kind of just been steady, which I guess steady and consistent is what Oklahoma has been lacking a lot on defense, so therefore that's probably why Riley was like, yeah, that guy's actually been our best DB. <laughs> your,
0: redemption. Your redemption for Justin Broyles on the college football playoff stage is being set up week by week. Interesting. Didn't you say, did
2: you have a Justin Broyles off season take about what if this is a guy that can take a jump? Or am I imagining that? Or maybe that was Pat Fields. I can't remember.
0: That was Pat Fields, not Broyles. Oh,
2: Pat Fields. Maybe I said yeah, it about yeah,
0: Broyles too. Um, I mean, I said my, my take was that we're going to see Justin Broyles. I mean, you just had to listen to what the coaches were saying and him being on the that's death chart right, and that's whatnot. Right. Um, but no, I mean it wasn't. He's yeah, Brawls has been fine this year. He's been totally fine. His his limitations, I still think, are pretty clear when you watch him. Uh, he's not great in coverage, but I mean, yeah, he's he, he's generally been fine this. He's been where he's supposed to be. Um, I I think it's more you know him you know Riley saying that he's been the best player in the secondary is more of more of a reflection just on the secondary this season and how poor they've just been in general. Yeah, that's, it definitely goes hand in hand. And the
2: last note I have on the secondary is I didn't even notice this until this week, and I got to credit Ryan Aber from the Oklahoma, and I believe he was asking questions about this to Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch and to the players about lack of interceptions this season by Oklahoma, and I hadn't really thought much about it. Oklahoma only has three interceptions this year. Last year, I didn't realize they had almost the most in all of college football a season ago. They had 16 picks which I believe was tied for third in college football a season ago. And it was great because after 2019, all we heard about was takeaways, takeaways, and Oklahoma did not get as many as we wanted them to. In 2020, the takeaways came, and, and they got a lot of them, and there, a lot of them were interceptions. And so I, I just wanted to point out that stat that, wow, they've only had three interceptions this season, and they had 16 last year, but it's not like Oklahoma's not getting takeaways because Oklahoma is getting takeaways. They have 11 so far this season. It's just been more fumbles. They've been getting fumbles this year. Uh, they're I think they're 29th in college football in takeaways. So not bad at all. And so I my only reaction to that is I think back to immediately the was it Key Lawrence or Jordan Mukes against Kansas State? I think it was Key Lawrence, right? Just drop. Drop easy interception. Yeah. Uh Jaden Davis committed a penalty didn't get flagged for it near the goal line. Should have had a pick, too. Got got away with one in that Kansas State game. Obviously you got the Eaton play that The ball was wrestled away from him. So I just think of those three plays and I'm probably missing some this year where Oklahoma could have had picks and did. Oh, uh, Billy Bowman against Nebraska, maybe where, I mean, it would have been a tough play, but he should have made that play. He would have tried to to catch it, hit both of his hands, his hands. And then later in that game against Nebraska, DJ Graham was in Nebraska or Tulane. I think it was Nebraska where it would have been a, a tougher play than Billy Bowman's pick. In the end zone, it would have been a tough play, but you know it got it hit. Graham's I think that hands was too late. Bring that down. Was that might have been two, okay? So it was. I just remember it being light outside. <laughs> so Tulane, Nebraska, one of those games, and being at home. So I mean the chances have been there. It's just oh, you no. Know, stop me if you've heard this before. Oklahoma's
0: not not taking advantage of those. That's those where offense. I'm like just like gosh, if they can, if the team can sort of rally behind Caleb and they can just get hot. That's just so. That's like that's my hope at this point in time too, because that's like I kind of feels like that's when the turnovers come. Um, I mean, I mean, that could just be total wishful thinking on my part, and the defense just is, is is who they are. But you can, I mean, if your offense is great, you can live with being a defense that gives up a lot of yards as long as you make plays. I mean, and I think that's gonna have to be that's gonna be the thing that we continuously just kind of look for the rest of the year. Um, they're gonna give up yards and chunks, uh, but if they can start. Like I said, they can get hot and they can start making plays, and that's, that's what's going to give them the best chance. They're not, they're, they're they're not going to be a shutdown defense pretty, pretty clearly. Yeah. No, I, all the expectations about this being a you know, maybe a top 20, top
2: 25 defense in college football, no. That ain't a thing. And all the expectations for Oklahoma State being that, it's actually kind of realistic. Oklahoma State's defense, I've looked at the numbers recently, but their defense is actually playing good football but we don't need to talk about Oklahoma State. I, the only reason I bring that up is just because I remember thinking when I heard an Oklahoma State player, I can't, it was either Trey Sterling or Colby Harvell-Peel in the preseason talk about how, yeah, we think we have the best defense in the Big 12. I remember think, hearing that and thinking like, uh, eh, I think Oklahoma's defense is probably better. I was wrong. No, it's not. Uh, Oklahoma State's defense is better than Oklahoma's defense. Let's go over to the defensive line. Talking on Tuesday, Lincoln Riley, he was critical of the D-line against TCU. He said that, I, I mean, this is – as, he said he thought that the secondary against TCU played better than Oklahoma's defensive line against TCU, which is it's a kind of an insult there considering that Max Duggan had a career day through the air against Oklahoma. He had 344 yards, four touchdowns, no picks. And you don't need me to tell you that the defensive line didn't play well. Just ask Alex Grinch.
3: I don't know the last time in my career I've been a part of Zero Sacks. Um, something I'll probably find a stat and remind me and but uh and four tfls um just uh if you're not getting any impact from your defensive front one that we have championed a lot around this place and been excited about um and and obviously give the the explosive uh through the air it, it uh in, in no way shape or form is it a, a performance that we can defend
2: so i i honestly don't have a whole lot, a whole lot to say here excuse me grant about the defensive line aside from this now you said weeks ago that moving forward, this might have been before conference play started, that Oklahoma's defensive line is going to be better than every single offensive line that it sees in the Big 12 moving forward. And I agreed with you. Yet we've seen for two and a half games, the last two and a half games, Kansas State, all of Kansas State, half of the Texas game, and all of TCU, the defensive line not get a whole lot of pressure on opposing quarterbacks, and we've seen quarterbacks throw all over Oklahoma in those games. I think it might be time for us to revisit the preseason expectations, the claims that Oklahoma's defensive line is one of the top two or three units in college football because if they are that good, if they were that good with all the depth that they have, they shouldn't be going through stretches like this aside from the second half of Texas where they're not getting any
0: pressure and quarterbacks are having plenty of time to throw on them, right? Yeah, I mean they've had stretches of dominance and then they've had stretches where they've kind of disappeared. Um I, I think I th- you know I don't think it's as drastic as you make it out to be. I mean, I yes, I do think it still is one of the best defensive lines in college football. Not probably not up to what we we had made it out to be, but I still don't it, I still don't think it was crazy to make it out to be that. I mean, they were they were clearly one of the best defensive lines in college football last season. And and Ronnie Perkins is the only guy that they were replacing, and they were good before Ronnie Perkins came back last season. So um I, I don't think it was crazy at all to expect them to make a jump and then and you know what they ha they have. Like it's they've been they've been good this year for the most part. It just they've they've disappeared at times. Um I thought there there's been some things that 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 needed to occur that I thought maybe just kind of naturally would occur that really haven't played out yet. And I think the two biggest ones are that, you know, we we hoped one with Nick Benito that his his really good sort of like win rate numbers and stuff like that would 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 kind of translate into production, like actually getting guys onto the ground. That's not really happening. Um, and, and he 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 impacts that the offense greatly when he's out there, but he's still not really finishing plays, which I, I think is what they need. And you know I we've I we've talked about that a lot with Isaiah Thomas this season. There's been times as I where, where Isaiah Thomas has. Has been just unbelievably dominant and getting past the offensive line, but then for whatever reason just can't finish the play, can't get can't get guys on the ground. Um, I thought that was like that was a problem. I thought for sure against Kansas State, uh, maybe not as much against TCU, but it has been at other times this season. Um, and I think a lot of it is just it's, it's consistency stuff. And so whether or not that's tightening up the rotations so that guys can get into a better groove, and I mean I don't even know if that's a thing or not. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they got to get better for sure. And, and like, um, I, you know, I think playing soft coverage a lot of the times and allowing really easy short passes is, is an easy way to neutralize the defensive line, too, that they've clearly put on tape this year that other teams have been able to take advantage of.
2: They have, and it just seems like, man, again, the last two and a half games, excluding the second half of Texas, I mean, Casey Thompson sitting back there with time. Skylar Thompson sitting back there with time. Max Duggan sitting back there with time. And I just it's something that I did not anticipate being a thing with this defensive line for long stretches. You know, you know, a quarter here and there, a series here and there. I think it's, but- a, I think
0: it's a bit of an over an overtake on Texas. I mean, they were like in the second half of that game, Casey Thompson did not have any time to throw, like whatsoever. I'm excluding this. I'm excluding the second half.
2: The second half. I'm not talking. I'm talking first half of Texas and then all of Kansas State, all of TCU, and and that's. I mean, TCU and Kansas State's quarterbacks were banged up. They weren't fully healthy. I mean, Skylar Thompson could not move. Duggan could, and he he did when he needed to, and he moved a lot better than Thompson did. But you. One thing I if, always if we noticed. I told you before the season that that Skylar Thompson and Max Duggan were going to be not 100% healthy going up against Oklahoma. We would have been licking our chops thinking that they were going to get to those guys quite a bit or at least force them to throw the ball too early and that would lead to incomplete passes and interceptions. Didn't happen.
0: Yeah. Uh you know, I I I I've definitely noticed when watching it's like, you know, it's it's been remarkably easy, I feel like, especially in Big Twelve play so far, for quarterbacks to step up in the pocket. There there's typically no one there when when uh, you know, when a quarterback can step up. And this is where, you know, I mean I wish I knew more. Is that something where you can you can kind of we you, you dial it back on the stunts a little bit? Do you dial it back on the, you know, wrapping guys around? Um like it's I it's it's always kind of nice when the quarterback tries to step up and like Nick Benito is there or something, but then when you do that, you're, you know, Nick Benito's is not necessarily rushing the passer in that situation. So in those situations, right. You would hope that you're li- you could trust your linebackers more in those situations. Um, yeah. No, that's and a good I, point. Yeah, the, I, I don't know enough either. The, the, the most, the most disappointing thing about it is that this was all, I mean, all of these guys played better a season ago and, and were and put better stuff out there a year ago and they've, they've shown that they can do it. Especially in the front seven, I mean, this Ronnie Perkins is the only dude that is that is off the front seven, unless like unless John Michael Terry was just so extremely important as Nick Benito's backup. I, I mean, yeah, all right, that's all I have on the defensive line. I did want to get to this point
2: because multiple times on this podcast I have said that opposing offensive coaches will be able to watch tape of Oklahoma and scheme up ways to get players open, and the reasoning for that is because oklahoma does a lot of simple things in the back end we see a lot of cover two we see a lot of cover one every once in a while some cover three and some quarters coverage Uh, but two deep safeties or one deep safety looks is the most common that an offensive coordinator will see on tape against oklahoma and teams can use motion to influence what type of coverage that they're going to see against oklahoma so if the opposition wants to bring a safety down into the alley can motion a receiver across the weak side to the strong side of the formation. If you want to force a corner maybe to loosen up his coverage on an outside receiver, how about you motion a guy to a trip set and you watch Oklahoma's coverage change? And anecdotally, this looks to me like it's happened quite a bit this season. And for example, one big time was the touchdown pass Casey Thompson threw to make it 28-7. to Texas is motioning from trips to Twins. And that totally confused Latrell McCutcheon. And instead of playing a deep third technique in a cover three, he looked like he was still playing cover two, which if you know anything about cover two, that means you have the flats and you're not deep as a corner. And that allowed for the wide open easy touchdown in the deep third where he should have been occupying because of the motion. Uh, But as always, though, I have to acknowledge that I am not in that defensive room. I don't know what Alex Grinch is calling on a play-to-play basis and I can only you know I can only use what I know my background and what I see from game film and then I make an educated guess on what is happening so in order to try and get more clarity on all of this I asked Grinch about pre-snap motion back on Tuesday pre-snap motion is that something that is difficult for the guys to communicate week to week and is that a point of emphasis to where it's it's something where teams are maybe getting you more when they do preset motion, or is that
3: something that I that maybe I'm not seeing correctly? Yeah, I, I, of of the things that we've had issues with from a, a motion standpoint, I'm not saying that there's never been an issue, um, and and once too many, um, but it's something you, you spend so much time on uh, in this day and age in college football, and, and whether or not it's us and you know, I, you know I don't go to our practices, but but I assume as much other other places spend so much time on motion adjust, uh, whether it's shifts motions. Um, whether it's, uh, you know, includes all of the above, whether it's empties to, uh, you know, a formation into the boundary, all that stuff. And, um, you know, ultimately in that moment, it's having disciplined eyes and locking into your responsibility. Um, and, and, you know, some of the maybe the most frustrating ones that happen defensively, is maybe that motion has no impact on you as an individual, and that's the individual that has an issue. They're saying, that, wait a second, that, that, that's just eye control. Um, by uh, you know a certain member of the defense, but that, that's something you're constantly working on. Um, I, there was, there, I think there was one you know formation issue, uh, jet motion in the boundary. They got the you know the linebacker was supposed to take the back on the wheel concept. Um, safety's supposed to take the uh, the jet motion. Safety takes the jet. No one on the no one on the back, um, and, and and I could tell you, but we got 500 snaps of doing it right on on video. But we didn't get it done right there, and and so then, but that's why offense do it. It's one of the things we talk to our guys about. They go tempo to mess with you. Why do you know? They, why do they do unbalanced sets to make one? Uh, you know, they got five eligible receivers. They make one of the receivers ineligible. It makes no sense to do that offensively other than to mess with you defensively. Why do they send a the guy in motion and, and have him bubble five yards deep in the backfield? The, the only advantage that they you know they gain in that is simply messing with you. And so um, it, it's, it's our job to, to to make sure that we don't allow that to happen.
2: So kind of a long answer there, uh, but I have some thoughts on that, Grant. But before I, I go, I, I just, I'm curious your immediate reaction
0: to that um yeah it's illuminating he definitely went in on it a lot more than i thought he would um i don't know man it it seems to me like it's 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 sort of an echo of what he just continues to say that it's like yeah man we work on this stuff we're just not getting it how about uh the very end when he talks about how you know like a lot of the times they do this stuff
2: why do they do that to mess with us and yes exactly right and from my perspective and, and again you know He said that they work on it all the time, and at the very beginning of the answer, he he kind of downplayed it, like it it hasn't really been that big of a factor in giving up big plays here and there. And at least that's kind of what I what I took from that. So you know maybe I am maybe I'm off on the amount of times it's actually affecting Oklahoma, and it's it's, but but at the same time though, yes they are trying to mess with you, and they are having success. So uh, the play he referenced there i went back and i watched and i found the play he referenced there and i'm glad he was detailed with it so it was easy for me to find out what he was talking about a minute 58 to go in the third quarter it was first and 10 for tcu they had a three by one set with a tight end lined up as an h back to the trip side now oklahoma comes out showing a cover four look they had both of their corners playing about seven to eight yards off of the ball and the safeties were about one to two yards deeper you know two deep safety look TCU motions the Z receiver across to create a two-by-two set. That's the jet motion guy that he referenced in that audio clip. And when you see the jet motion happen, you see Pat Fields from the backside of the play come down into the alley with his eyes on that jet motion receiver, which Grinch said that the safety is supposed to get the jet motion guy. So Pat Fields is coming down to get the jet motion guy. Then you also see at the snap, Shane Witter, the Will linebacker, he Reed steps inside towards that jet motion receiver while the back runs that wheel concept and is wide open for a 20-plus yard play. And after the play's over with, Pat Fields comes from the backside, makes the tackle, and he gets up, and he kind of claps his hands in frustration, and he looks at Shane Witter. And I remember seeing that in the game, shooting it, and kind of, and that was one of the plays I texted you after the game like, there was a couple of plays where I was wondering, where's the corner? And that wasn't even a corner thing. That ended up being because like I shoot tight. And so for me, it was just the corner was, was way back on the receiver playing a cover four type technique. And it was actually on Shane Witter. Now that we hear from Alex Grinch, I remember seeing that play live and seeing Pat Fields kind of clap like in disgusting. And oh, I wonder if Pat Fields messed that up. No, no, it was Shane Witter. And he was just mad that the young linebacker didn't do his job. And so that's an instance where Shane Witter makes the mistake. So here's kind of like what I I come to. I I see that, I watch that, and I see, okay, after seeing that play, here's my question. Here's what I'm curious about, and I don't know the answer to this. Why is each defender responsible for a man in that scenario? Why not each defender be responsible for a zone? Because Oklahoma was not in man coverage pre-snap. Because if they were in man coverage you would have seen a man carry that jet motion receiver across the formation. You would have seen Justin Broyles, who was lined up across him, carry him across the formation. And then if that was the case, Pat Fields, he would have known that he had the running back. And then based on the formation they're in, I believe Shane Witter would have been responsible for the quarterback. And that seems pretty well-defined to me. So what we were getting here is a zone call pre-snap and then – the jet motion turns it into a man responsibility, at least on that side of the field where the man is going. And if someone doesn't know who their man is, then that can turn into a big play, which it did there. turned into an explosive play. And so this is just like where I don't know. Maybe it's super easy, and Alex Grinch and Roy Manning has explained this to these guys, and Brian Odom has explained it to these guys over and over again. And they know this, and it's super easy. And they spend a lot of time on it, like Grinch says, and they keep messing it up. But if that's the case, if it is super easy, then why is it getting messed up? Like, why is the eye discipline so bad? And it's just an observation, and I don't have the answer, and I don't have any clarity on it. It's just a super in-depth X's and O's question I have after watching that play back and hearing Grinch's answer. And I know you didn't see the play, so I don't know if you're going to be able to really comment much on this, but
0: it's ju- it's just No, I mean I remember the play. I remember the play. Um I guess, yeah, I mean that's right, right? Because y you, you have to assume the reason the reason that Witter kind of starts to go that direction is because he's cuz it's it's like a play fake. It's a play it's a play action. He's like, ooh, he's, ooh, he's ooh, probably shiny, trying to defend ooh, against the object, jet sweep.
2: Shiny object. Yeah. That that guy's going out. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And he obviously didn't He's probably trying to get a probably trying to get the head start on the jet sweep, not trusting his edge guys to set the edge on that. Um But yeah, I mean that's that's an interesting that that's an interesting thing like and that that's kind of been my that's sort of been my question too. Like when you see motion, are they are they switching from zone to man a lot depending on 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 the motion that they see? And in my head I'm thinking like why are they doing that? Um why not just stick with the call? Um See before I that's that's what I don't understand.
2: That was actually one of the plays in my rewatch I kind of circled as, you know, motion giving them problems. And it, I'm glad that he actually brought that up because then he answered my question. And so when I saw that play back, my first thought was that it was a zone a zone concept and all TCU did there was using motion, they flooded the zone and they added an extra guy in there and that Made it to where he was wide open to where, uh, you know, Pat, they knew that Pat Fields would come down into the alley and take, I guess, the flats. And I thought that it looked like Shane Witter was responsible for the flats as well. And they put an extra man out there as the wide the the, the uh, X receiver ran a deep route and took the corner out of the play. And they flooded the zone, so it would have basically made Pat Field. It would have made. Pat Fields make a decision. Do I go for the jet motion guy or do I go for the wheel route out of the backfield? And then Duggan would make the decision on who to throw to. And in that case, it obviously was the wheel route out of the backfield because both players went for the jet motion guy. So it, according to Grinch, it ended up being a man concept after the motion. I thought it was a zone concept that they busted. So that's just what's so interesting about it. It like, I thought that was, a it, it was a good play call by TCU, but it ended up being totally different as far as why Oklahoma busted it. <laughs> Uh, and it's just, it's, it's one play, but man, it's just, I can't imagine how frustrated Grinch is because I will say this, you know, he was asked about like, how do you put these guys in better positions to succeed in the secondary? And I didn't pull this sound, but I'll, I'll read you the quote. He says, you know, okay. As a coach, you ask yourself, do you play more zone? Do you play more man? Uh, do you have the guys get closer to receivers or do you have, Guys, you know, give more space to the receivers. So basically, do you have him pressed? Do you have him come off? You know, so there's more disciplined eyes. Or simply, you know, sometimes is it just uh, the, the play didn't work out the way we wanted to because it was a bust? Maybe the ball was completed on the hash. Hey, we're supposed to have a hash guy there. Where was he? And it was just a bust. Uh, and then he referenced Trey Norwood. He talked about how Trey Norwood, a couple of plays, the interception last year against Baylor, he said that he was a hash dropper. He got a pick on the hash. 10 yards deep when he was supposed to be kind of the widened guy, the numbers guy, and he was in the right spot. He got a pick against Baylor last year. He referenced the game against Iowa state where he, I think he made a play against Iowa state. He referenced a Texas tech game where you, you've said in the past, like, Oh, Oklahoma just got a bunch of tip passes and stuff like that. And yeah, they, there was a balls tip, but Grinch was saying, yeah, he was in the right spot and the tips ended up going towards him because he was in the right spot. So, he was using Trey Norwood as a reference as that, hey, when the guys play where they are supposed to be, when they're supposed to be there, there's a consistent pattern, and then you might have a better chance to make a play, but then you still have to finish the play. So to bring this all around, it sounds like guys are just not doing their jobs, Grant. <laughs> I mean, they're just, they're not in the right spot. <laughs> and then, as a coach, I guess at this point, if they haven't fixed it, I don't know if they're ever going to fix it. Because how do you drill it down into these guys and they're still making mistakes? It's just, unless just reps and reps and reps will eventually
0: make it to where it's not as bad. All right. That's where, I mean, that's where you go. I mean, you hope, yeah, you hope Caleb Williams has bought them some time to figure something out. One thing I will say though, and I'll continue to say it, this, one thing this defense has that some of the other bad ones didn't have in the past is this defense is legitimately good at stopping the run they when teams do conventionally try to run the ball OU is still pretty good at stopping the run but the problem is other teams don't really need to because they're so bad you know everywhere else so see i, I want to say back
2: let's say 2018 that defense was really bad i want to say they weren't terrible against the run the problem was they would give up you know 3 4 yards a pop so it was easy in short yardage, but they were actually pretty good against giving up explosive big run plays, and then in 2017, the year before that, they I mean think back to the Georgia game, they just got absolutely gashed on the ground against Georgia, and they couldn't stop anything. So it was almost like they were they're not they're not as bad as we think they were in 2018 stopping the run. they were just so bad on the back end. It didn't matter. I mean they when teams needed to get a couple of yards, they got them easily. And then they were able to throw the ball everywhere in the Oklahoma secondary, whereas right now, yeah, they're definitely better against the run. They're able to create negative plays more often than that 2018 team did. They never seemed like they ever created negative plays. So, yes, to your point, that is that is definitely an upside. And of course, this defense has a way bigger, better ceiling than those 2017 and 2018 defenses. No doubt about it. Anything else on the defense you want to hit on?
0: No, I just, you know, I mean, it's, I hope they start playing better. It's a, Hey, I mean, Kansas is a, is a good start to, to, you know, to work on being in the right place. Well, so, said. I mean, presumably, right. We're going to see a lot of guys. I mean, I, I hope we see a lot of Josh Eaton on, on Saturday. Yeah. Well said. That's a good one. I mean, they, and we'll talk a little bit about
2: Kansas here coming up. I actually do have some thoughts on the Kansas matchup that will go hand in hand with what you just said. Let's go over to the offense. I talked about the start of the show, kind of made a joke of like, hey, let's, let's see, see if we can find more positive things to say about Caleb Williams that nobody else has said because everything has been said at this point. I'll start with this, though. Lincoln Riley, ever since Caleb Williams has come into the fold, ever since that Texas game, he continues to kind of downplay everything that Caleb Williams does. I mean, we all have eyes. What we're seeing from a guy his age at his experience level Saying unprecedented sounds like you're living in the moment too much because I'm 33 years old. I'm not an expert on college football history, so I'm not going to say unprecedented, but at least in the last 10 years, it's unprecedented because even Trevor Lawrence, who was very good as a freshman, true freshman starting, didn't look like this, didn't have the same kind of skills, didn't have the same kind of running ability. Granted, Trevor Lawrence could run. Don't get me wrong. He can run, but nothing like this. And just the explosive plays, the completions, uh, and, and make in and the pocket presence i don't think even trevor lawrence was here and so what caleb williams is doing is, is pretty special including and most notably his legs are great his arm talent great but just his ability inside that pocket he looks so comfortable <laughs> it's every time he's and i think the sooner soup guys made this point every time you compliment caleb williams it's almost like you have to take a dig at spencer rattler and it, it, it kind of feels mean in a way but I'm sorry. Like he just looks so much more comfortable and poised in these pockets than Rattler did this season. I thought Rattler looked good in the pocket a lot last year, uh, but this year it just, he looked uncomfortable for the most part with the exception of the Kansas state game. And so I asked Lincoln Riley about that because there was a couple of throws in that TCU game, a couple of plays where he, he was so good in the pocket. You and I were sending text videos back and forth. Like, man, look at this, look at him sit in the pocket, keep his eyes downfield, make some throws. And so I was just curious about what Riley would say. Like, I, about his pocket presence because to me that seems like one of the most difficult things as a quarterback being able to sit in the pocket with all this chaos going around you keep your eyes downfield and then on top of that make an accurate throw so here is uh me asking lincoln riley about caleb williams and his pocket presence from your perspective is that something that you just have as a quarterback or can you learn it and, and i guess why is he so comfortable right now looking downfield and staying
1: in the pocket yeah, I mean, I think you can learn it. I mean, some guys do it better than others, but I, I do think you can learn it. I mean, the biggest thing to me is, it, I mean, again, it all starts with having a pocket there to actually be able to step up in and stay in. I mean, that's the, you know, I don't care if you've you got the greatest pocket presence in the history of mankind. If there's not a pocket, there's not a pocket. And, and you know, here these last few weeks when when Caleb's played, more often than not, there's been a pretty good pocket, and so uh, and and he's done a good job trusting it, staying in it, seeing what we need to see, and I think he's got some confidence in his ability that if he does need to get out, that, that he can. And uh, so, no, it's been, you know, he's done a good job of the two games. The linemen's done; they've done a great job of keeping it clean, and and uh, you know, and then and then I think both sets just trusting each other. So, um, you know, always kind of a team effort there. So it's been good on all accounts. And but again, they're gonna. These different fronts, different things we're going to see going forward, we're going to get challenged different ways, so we got to be ready to do it again.
2: All right, so that answer is is a perfect example of Lincoln Riley. He's, he's so good at this, and everything he said there is 100% correct. He's not wrong. Everything he said there is 100% correct, but at the same time, I think he is also downplaying quite a bit the type of poise and the difficulty with which Caleb Williams is making some of these throws in that pocket. But he's exactly right, though. He said it's all a team thing. And so I was kind of trying to get this in my head a little bit. Caleb Williams is probably always kind of known throughout his football career, obviously just dating back to high school and then just a couple of games here with Oklahoma, he's always probably kind of had a pretty good pocket to throw in because everything he does outside of his throwing abilities probably allow him to have more clean pockets because – Maybe teams aren't blitzing him as much. They're having to respect the run a little bit more. So maybe there's not as many free rushers coming at Caleb Williams as maybe there was with Spencer Rattler to where the pocket wasn't as clean. And so maybe it's just his style of play and his talent and his ability to do everything also makes it easier on the offensive lineman to give him a clean pocket more often than not, which then makes him more comfortable in those clean pockets so then he's able to look down the field and stick in there and make these throws more than maybe another quarterback would make and so again riley's exactly correct about that but i do think he's downplaying a little bit more williams's ability at you know making one career start and playing in one and a half and change games in college and he looks like he's one of the best
0: quarterbacks in college football so uh your thoughts on what riley said riley's uh continued downplaying of caleb williams is clearly intentional is uh, my little my my kind of conspiratorial brain is just like rightly knows this guy is special and he knows he's got to keep him focused um i, I mean it's, it's crazy. i mean his hip yeah him coming out and just being like yeah he's played pretty well is it's it's it's, it's kind of obnoxious <laughs> and like it's it's easy to dismiss him because this is the same guy i mean we've talked about it so many this is the same guy with Kyler Murray and Austin Kendall, so it's just like I mean I don't. With stuff like this, it's just like of, of course he can't come out and just be like yeah he's been he's been outstanding he's been everything that we possibly could want him to be. <laughs>
2: Thank God um, he's saving our season.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think he would. I don't think he'd say So that. I mean, yeah, depends on yeah. I mean, I'm I'm curious how much of that is he just wants to keep. Williams engaged one of whereas like I don't know I look at Caleb Williams and I don't think that's an issue with him or do I don't think it ever will be probably he definitely seems like a guy who is just he wants to win and he wants to do whatever it takes at least that's the that's you know that's the vibe that I get from him uh it also makes me wonder how much of it is is still trying to massage Spencer Rattler and um keeping him engaged and that that could be a part of it too so um yeah I mean the pocket presence is great I mean yeah I, I I was I was you know I think that's one of the things that typically true freshman quarterbacks just don't have. That that's one of the things that comes that comes later. I feel like the guys who are good at it, they always show a natural ability of it early on in their career. That was always the case with Baker. He was Baker was able to get out of trouble a lot the, like early in his career, but it wasn't until kind of the back half of 2016 where he really took a step it felt like where he was actually like stepping up in the pocket, you know, keeping his head down the field and not just kind of taking off and running um so yeah, i mean yeah it's really really encouraging to see and you sent me uh i mean you sent me a snap i can't remember if it was today or earlier this week uh just to play him and him eric gray out of the backfield where he climbed to the pocket and uh was able to get off you know get the pass off right before mathis got to him and um like that was great to see um but yeah i mean i'm sure that's one of those things where it's like you can tell he's clearly ha- he clearly has a natural feel for it um so that's one of the things by the time you know he's a junior and he's in his last year of starting presumably you would hope that he's he's made a pretty big progression there but he's already good at it um and it only makes it easier if you if you can move really well and if you're fast that just i mean and he seems like the type of guy who's got a lot of confidence in his ability right absolutely yeah maybe it's maybe it's like it's a lot easier for him to To kind of lock in and be like, okay, I need to climb the pocket. I need to keep my head downfield because I know at the last second, if I do get into trouble, I'm probably going to be able to run out of this thing.
2: Yeah, and that play you just referenced, the pass to Eric Gray, that was a scenario where if you watch that back, he does have some room to run and eject that pocket last second if he wants to, but he still is keeping his eyes downfield and he makes that throw to Gray. And what makes it even more impressive is that it's O'Shawn Mathis who's who's pressuring him from his front side uh, and he had already gotten to to Caleb Williams twice earlier in that game and so it showed me that this might be a small thing it could be a big thing just he uh, he as Caleb Williams adjusted to that he he knew that O'Shawn Mathis is there and if you watch that play back he he keeps climbing and climbing and climbing and at the very last second gets rid of the football and throws a strike and I think I feel like if he would not have been sacked a couple of times before that, he'd probably get sacked right there because he, did, he wasn't quite sure or he didn't know the type of pressure that Mathis could bring. But the fact that he had already been there a couple of times, that was, I think, up in his mind somewhere, little nugget, and he's like, I, I got to keep keep climbing, keep climbing, keep climbing. And he made the throw. And it was just the same exact drive from a different angle. He got backside pressure, and he felt it. He felt it, he rolled out, and it was the play where he hit Mike Woods on the sideline, on the near sideline, near the press box, and Woods kept his feet inbounds very nice for a first down. And so it wasn't just climbing the pocket, but just feeling the pressure from the backside and leaving the pocket at the right time. And I know that's what like Greg Cosell says a lot. The, he's on Colin Coward's show a lot. He's on a lot of podcasts. We've talked about him a lot on this podcast before. I like him quite a bit, his quarterback breakdowns, and one of the things that he talks about a lot with young quarterbacks is a lot of them will leave the pocket before they're supposed to. And I think, I mean, Joel Klatt says that a lot. Uh, and, and Spencer Rattler, whenever he's going poorly, does that a decent amount of times. He gets out of that pocket before he should, before he should, uh, whenever there's a pocket there to step up in. And man, my lowest common denominator never have played the position before, just from the outside thinking initially when, when that happens, is when a player like Spencer Rattler does that, and Jalen Hurts does that a lot too, and Jalen Hurts is, what is he? It makes me kind of wonder how much of it is size and height, that they want to leave the pocket so they can see better because they can. there's less out there because they can see the field open up more, whereas Caleb Williams is about 6'2", 6'2", maybe 6'3", with cleats on. And may, maybe I'm way off base here, but as I've gotten older, I'm starting to buy more into being a little bit taller definitely helps quite a bit because I think Caleb Williams in that pocket, he's big, he's he's not six six, but he's not five eleven, he's not six feet tall. I think he can see a
0: little bit better and I think that helps. I think being taller at quarterback is always going to help, no matter what. I think the I the, the debate always was is, you know, if you're is it is it is it completely lethal to your chances if you're not tall. Oh, I sure, think was always sure. the Whereas okay. like I mean you see, you know, Yeah, I mean, we've seen, like, I feel like, you know, in the first handful of seasons of the NFL for Baker Mayfield, his height at times is a problem. And the same can absolutely be said of Kyler as well. It's just what, you know, what can, what do those quarterbacks do to alleviate that problem long-term? Drew Brees was able to do it by being really good at maneuvering and climbing the pocket. Um, Kyler Murray is going to be really good at it because he's so athletic up until to the point where he's not anymore. Um, But you would think by that time, he's probably going to be a lot better at it, so... Uh, no, I mean, obviously, yeah. Like first, you know, first reactions of of Williams in the pocket are great. I mean, ev- everything is great about this guy so far. <laughs> like that's why. I mean, it's like if if he ever comes out and plays like poorly, it's going to be such a deflating thing. Um, but I don't think he's yeah. going to. <laughs> I don't think he's going to. I think he's. I don't think he's ever going to have a bad game. Ever. Never.
2: Uh, I don't know. I I will criticize him, Grant. I that touchdown pass to Jeremiah Hall. He held the ball for a beat too long. He, he should have thrown it a little bit earlier. <laughs> that, I was joking with Dusty. Uh, Dusty brought that up. I'll give him credit for that because I hadn't watched the game back yet. And then I noticed that Kirk Herbstreit had, had made that comment too when I rewatched the game. Uh, on Sunday night, Dusty made that comment about how, yeah, he should have thrown the ball sooner to Jeremiah Hall because he, he was open and the window was there. And it's like, man, like the one knock on the guy we can think of right now is that he, he held on the ball a beat too long and he still threw a touchdown pass. <laughs> like, geez, man, like that. Boy, how, how far Oklahoma's quarterback play has come in, in literally three weeks. All right. What else we have? Uh, just throw this out there. Uh, credit to the offensive line. Lincoln Riley said that he thought the offensive line played its best game of the season against TCU. He said he, th- he thinks right now the offensive line is playing cleaner and more together than they had in the past. And hopefully this is going to just come along with what we've always seen with the Oklahoma offensive line. They gel and they get better as the season goes on. And obviously they're going to play a lot better when they have a player like Caleb Williams in there that can do so many things. And, and just he's making everybody better. Uh, I
0: don't have a whole lot of thoughts on the offensive line. Just wanted to bring that up. Any thoughts for you? Uh, not a lot of thoughts other than that was, uh, that was the first time we've seen a lot of Eric Swenson this season in that game. Uh, presumably um I I you know Tyrese Robinson he he went down with an ankle thing in the the Texas game in that second half and I they were I know on Gabe and Teddy's podcast Gabe was just speculating that Tyrese just wasn't it's just not healthy and so that was that was one of the reasons why we saw a lot of swings. I think Tyrese gave up the only two sacks as well I think they yeah, were on him
2: was, yeah that's when um, was was beating him
0: and that really that was the only I mean those two sacks were the only time I could think of the offensive line me being like yeah oh, that wasn't great um but yeah, I mean, in the second half, I, I mean, I remember just no issues on the offensive line whatsoever, and you know, I mean, you, you gotta you, you gotta qualify that with TCU as just you know their front, their front six seven on defense this season has not been anything special whatsoever. Uh, but it's I mean, it, it was still nice to see, you know, still nice to see uh, not as many glitches. Don't tell it to Lincoln Riley though; he thinks TCU's front and what they do up there is still pretty good.
2: So he uh, that's I think it's a big reason why oh, I shouldn't say big reason, but another reason why
0: he thought the offensive line played so well because of what TCU does up front. So, I mean, I'm not
2: smart. Yeah, Maybe to they go, do
3: a good
0: job of making yeah. of making you think up there and maybe that's it. But I'm just I mean, results wise, they haven't been good. So I don't
2: <laughs> and speaking to Eric Swenson, Lincoln Riley gave him a lot of praise as well. Very similar to Justin Broyles. He he said, yeah, I mean, he's always one of the backbones of the team on the offensive line because he can just play anything he said that Swinson played he came in for Tyrese Robinson played right tackle and didn't take one rep at that spot at all during practice last week and he came in and played it so he's like yeah yeah it's just gotta give a lot of credit to players like that anything else on the offense that you want to hit on I mean it's one of those times now where uh, Lincoln Riley joked about it in the press conference that hey three weeks ago you guys were asking you know heck or acting like we would never score another point again after West Virginia and then now everything was about the defense. And so now on this podcast, it's, like, it's kind of like we talked about the defense for almost an hour, about an hour. And now it's like offense. Yeah, offense is is uh, awesome. <laughs> so like, anything else you want to talk about offensively? Uh, I haven't I don't have anything else, really.
0: No, I, I just, you know, I mean, I hope uh, hope the momentum can continue. Hope uh, especially with the with Caleb Williams and the wide receivers, because I mean, I still think. You know for years and years and years, right the you know the biggest equalizer in college football is your defensive line and I still think that's true in a lot of instances. but I think more and more and more the biggest equalizer is your quarterback and your receivers. Um, and like I guess say I, I, th- I thought it was crazy against TC just how all of a sudden how salty they look as a group uh, with Williams throwing to them. I mean that's I mean just that that trio at the top with Hazelwood Woods and Marvin Mims is great. I mean that's not even counting. Uh, Mario Williams and Drake Stoops and Braden Willis, Jeremiah Hall, Eric Gray catching the ball out of the backfield. I mean, if they if if they can get this thing humming on all cylinders, a uh, biggest equalizer, b- biggest equalizer that I, that I can think of.
2: All right, so let's switch over to talk about the game at hand here, Kansas. And there's a reason why we've we're taking an hour and fifteen minutes into the show to talk about Kansas because it's Kansas. Oklahoma's favored by 38 and a half in Lawrence, Saturday, 11 a.m. And your podcast host will be at the game. (laughs) That's right. The biggest game of college football in week eight. I will be there. OU at Kansas. All right, we know they're bad. The question I have is what should we be watching for on Saturday? Like, what are your thoughts about this game? I mean, we're going to watch it because – Well, one, it's my job, and you're going to watch the game, Grant, because you love Oklahoma football, and of course you're going to watch the game, and we expect an Oklahoma blowout, but let's think more nuance here. What should we be looking for? And I actually have some notes if you want me to go first, and you can kind of feed off of what I say, if that helps you. Yeah, you can go ahead. Okay, so everyone always says this, and it's because it's, it's true. It's the most obvious thing. You don't want any injuries, so... Hopefully there's no problems. Everyone gets out healthy. It's like it's like we treat the Kansas games like a spring game. It's like, okay, hopefully everyone gets out of there healthy and there's no problems and we're all good. Okay, offensively, we just talked about Caleb Williams and that group. You want to see him continue to do what he's been doing. And if he does that, then that's going to mean that the entire offense as a whole is going to continue to hit explosive plays, score a lot of points and just do everything really well. So that's what you want to see we all expect that to happen if that doesn't happen then okay like whatever it's still kansas like they'll probably be okay but if there's some glitches and there's a couple drives here and there in the first half where they're not scoring like consecutively that will be an issue but whatever we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get there but offensively the thing that maybe one of the most interesting things is if oklahoma scores a lot of points which they should and the game gets out of hand At what point does Spencer Rattler come into this football game? And when he does come into this football game, how does he treat his playing time on Saturday? Uh, Does he take this seriously? Or when he gets out there, does he look like he's going through the motions like he kind of did in the spring game a lot of the times? And I will bring this up to you, Grant, because I know we've talked about this on the podcast kind of recently, I think. Think back to last year when OU played Kansas in Norman. Rowler didn't play very well. It was statistically his worst game of the year. He was 15 of 27, 212 yards, had a touchdown to Stogner, threw a really bad pick. He had a 126.3 passer rating. That was his lowest passer rating of the entire season. And, you know, last year at that time, we could just say, hey, he didn't take Kansas seriously. He knew Oklahoma was going to win the game. But you fast forward a year later, the last image We have of Spencer Rattler on the football field, you know, aside from that two-point play, which he made, so credit to him there. But aside from that, we last saw him playing poorly against Texas and turning it over two times in that game. So this could be a character check on Saturday for Spencer Rattler, which is kind of like an interesting sidebar part of this game that I'm curious to see what happens because it would be really weird. I mean, it's got to be Spencer Rattler coming in after Caleb Williams, right? It would be a huge weird thing if he didn't play in this game. So I'll, I'll stop. I there mean, yeah. I know. mean, that would
0: be that would absolutely be something that you could read into if if Ralph Rucker came out or Micah Bowens came out instead of Rattler. Um, I mean, if 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 Rattler is there, then yeah, he's going to be the the second guy that comes off. I think. Um, so yeah i mean actually that's not what i was thinking about at all but that's definitely an interesting subplot for the game um if rattler comes in and he's not just hucking it deep every single chance that he possibly can then uh we'll see but i mean what if rattler comes in and he looks great and he looks like he looks like you know at iowa state rattler from last year where he's just he's confident he's throwing it deep he's hitting like that'd be awesome that'd be cool i mean it'd be great for him um so yeah, I mean he's he's almost certainly getting an opportunity to play in this game, and if he's, you know, the right mindset for him, absolutely is to be locked in for that moment that he's gonna get uh, to come out and work on the things he needs to work on, which is, I mean, mostly is is letting it loose a little bit, and making sure that he that he gets the ball down the field. So, uh, w- yeah, I mean w- we'll see. Uh, I I think that's that you know the health obviously is is, is the big thing. You just want to get out of it healthy. Um, one thing I'm gonna look for on defense for sure is. I mean, is, is Kansas having success um, on these easy yard plays that all the other teams have had? Is, are are OU's defensive backs struggling to get off blocks on swing passes and on little wide receiver screens? Um, that that's what I'm going to be looking for. Um, of course, you want to you know, Kansas is absolutely one of the worst teams in the FBS. They would finish in the bottom you know in the bottom half of the MAC for sure. Probably, I mean maybe in the the bottom third of the Mac in all likelihood. Um, This is apps. I mean, this is going to be the worst offense and worst defense from an FBS team. OU plays this season. Um, You would hope in that sense that OU's defense can kind of come out and dominate a little bit. Um, I think the offense is probably not going to have any problems, although some glitches wouldn't concern me too much. Um, They kind of have a history of not being extremely super sharp playing in Lawrence. And um, reason for that, I, you know, I don't know. Like, even in the you know the the Baker crotch grab game, they were not super sharp in that game at all. Um, we know that they weren't sharp a couple years ago with Jalen Hurts when he was there either. They really haven't been sharp against Kansas at all for the most part. I mean, remember in 2018 when they gave up nine thousand yards and, and oh, yeah. seventy points to Puka Williams. I'll never forget. I'll never forget that. They actually yeah
2: you're right. Except last year, they were sharp last year against Kansas. They beat the doors off of them. They only gave up, like, nine points, put up 60 oh, the on de- them.
0: The defense, yeah, the defense was sharp. The defense definitely treated them like a lower-tier MAC team.
2: Yeah, okay, you're, you're right, because I, I did say that Rattler didn't play well, because even with Rattler not playing well, they still put up a bunch of points, and they ran the ball really well. Uh, so, yeah, okay, you're right, point taken. Yeah, the defense definitely played a lot better probably than the uh, off. Yeah, I felt bad for that quarterback last year, who I don't even know if he's on the team
0: anymore. I don't think he's playing right now. It's a he's uh, he's on the team. He's not, uh, not he's not time. really playing though.
2: But yeah, I'm with you defensively. So, just the last two games for Kansas. Last week they played Texas Tech, and the week before that they played Iowa State. Two weeks ago against Iowa State in Ames, Ku was down 38 to nothing at halftime and lost the game 59 to seven. And last week, with one minute to go in the fourth quarter. They were down 41 to nothing in Lubbock to Texas Tech. And randomly, KU was able to score not one, but two garbage time touchdowns in the final minute of the game to make it 41 to 14. So, why do I say that? I say that to ask this Is Oklahoma's defense going to be able to hold this Kansas team to zero points or seven points or heck, even 14, like pretty much every other real FBS team kind of has this year? And if Oklahoma does hold them down, will they come in garbage time or in the second half of the game, like against Iowa State and like against Texas Tech? Uh, if not, that I mean, yeah, that's not great, man. And I mean, we're gonna see what kind of pride this defense has. Um, again, they pummeled Kansas last year. Can they do it again? They should be able to. They should, because even in those years in twenty seventeen and twenty uh, now in twenty seventeen the defense wasn't all that great at the end of the year. And they held Kansas to something like three points, to like only a field goal. Uh, 2018, though, uh, yeah, you referenced it. Uh, just embarrassing, 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 embarrassing. 40 points to Kansas, like 500 yards of offense or, or something. Puka Williams had 500 himself. It seemed like so. Yeah, that's the that's the two main things: offense, defense. You're looking at, and which that's something. I mean, honestly, like that's kind of something, as opposed to nothing. <laughs> It's something, ain't it? Ain't nothing. Uh, so yeah, like thirty. I mean, that's half, one of the. I,
0: but that's I, one I of the crappy I, things about this week, though, right? Is that even if they do play really well, it's like, yeah, whatever. It's Kansas.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hey, will they exceed expectation and cover? I don't know, man. Thirty-eight and a half seems like a lot of points. How bad I, I do mean, they want
0: to cover? They really should, man. They really should cover that, especially they did when last you have. Year. Like especially when it's Spencer Rattler coming in, like as as potentially as a backup, you would think. But I mean, crap, I mean, yeah. I mean, if it's if it's checked down Spencer Rattler though, then yeah, they probably won't score a lot. <laughs> All right, how much time do we have, Grant? Do you have time to go through Big Twelve and National? Yeah, we got. We can. We probably need to get out of here in about fifteen or twenty minutes. Okay, just wanted to make sure. Over to the Big Twelve slate this
2: week: K State's at Texas Tech. Texas Tech is a one-point favorite. So the K State Iowa State game. I think we we were both kind of thinking. I can't remember what we were thinking. I think I was on K-State. I was thinking, ah, I'd, I'd go with K-State, and Iowa State ended up covering. And just like normal, Iowa State continues to play its best football late in the year. I didn't see any of the game. That was one of those matchups I was kind of intrigued by, but sounds like Iowa State took care of business in Manhattan. I don't know if you watched the game or signed the game at all. I mean, we were together on Saturday, so uh, I'm not sure if you went back and watched it. But do you have any thoughts on this game?
0: I didn't go back and watch it. Um, I think my thought on it was I have no idea. Um I think my uh my head was saying my head I think was saying Kansas State my gut was saying Iowa State. I don't think we picked the game. No, uh, but no I mean game, it played. Yeah. It didn't really surprise me. I mean yeah, I mean if you had told me before that game that Iowa State was going to win by 13, I'd be like, "Oh, yeah, I mean I I can buy that." So Texas Tech is a 1 point favorite. I mean it's essentially a pick
2: 'em in Lubbock. That's an interesting line. I I mean whatever, I don't know. I, my gut tells me Nah, I mean, Kansas State's struggling right now. I think they've lost three in a row.
0: Isn't so, Texas anyways. Tech randomly three and or five and two? That sounds right. It's like somehow they're
2: five and two. Five and two. Only losses have been to Texas and TCU. And they were, I mean, they were beaten pretty soundly by both teams. <laughs> Which is pretty interesting. So, yeah. Uh. So Tech has K-State, and then they have Oklahoma after that. So, I mean, you're looking at Texas Tech's schedule, man. I mean, they got K-State at OU, home Iowa State, home Oklahoma State at Baylor. So, I mean, they're looking at their schedule thinking, we got to win this game.
0: Yeah, exactly. So Oh, honestly, I think, uh, yeah, if I had to bet this game, I'd probably go with with Tech. Yeah, that's
2: interesting, man. That's, that's, That's a gauntlet at the end for them. I'm kind of with you I'm kind of leaning towards tech as well we're going to save Oklahoma State and Iowa State for our game picks and the only other game in the Big 12 going on West Virginia at TCU classic Vegas zone line TCU's four and a half point favorites I mean whatever West Virginia is not very good apparently I I don't know about that I mean I have no thoughts on this game do you
0: no I mean not really I it wouldn't surprise me either I mean it wouldn't is it would anyone be surprised at all with just a, a stinker from TCU's offense against West Virginia?
2: probably not I mean coming off of the massive game against oU I mean West Virginia West Virginia West Virginia's coming
0: off of a bye, so that could help and they're on a three game losing streak so West Virginia probably you know outside of Kansas probably has the worst offense in the big 12 um but man TCU's defense. Outside of Kansas, is I mean statistically the worst defense in the Big Twelve. So, kind of a kind of an interesting, I guess, like game within the game. There, I get, I guess. But no, I mean that this this game, generally speaking, is not a super intriguing one for me.
2: <laughs> yeah, West Virginia is two and four. Looking at their schedule, I mean they got to win this game if they're gonna try to make a bowl game this year because they got this game. And they still have Iowa State, OSU, and Texas on the schedule. Aside from that, they got K-State and Kansas. So, I mean, they win this game and they take care of business against K-State and Kansas and you're bowl eligible. I mean, they, they could definitely upset one of those other teams, but I don't know. So, yeah, I think I might, I might yeah, I'm, I'm probably leading towards the underdog here, taking the four and a half, even on the road, come off a bye. But, I mean, not any sort of uh, confidence in it. Let's go to our national picks, and I was three and two last
0: week. Grant, you were two and three, so your hot streak is officially a bit over. It's, it's over. It's over. Yeah, I don't have a good. I don't have a good feel anymore. On the season,
2: you are twenty and fifteen. Still not bad at all. And I am awful. I am fourteen and twenty-one. But I am slowly chipping away, trying to get back to five hundred somehow before the season comes to a close. Uh, some interesting games on the docket this week. Not like super crazy awesome games, but just some interesting games. And we'll start in the Big Ten because this line, to me, is kind of interesting. You got Purdue, who's now ranked 25 and just had a huge upset over Iowa. Purdue coming back home because they were at Iowa. So Purdue coming coming home after a big upset of a, a top – what was Iowa? Number two in the nation? I think – right, yeah. You got Purdue upsetting Iowa, coming home to face Wisconsin. And Wisconsin is a three-point favorite, a three-point road favorite over – Purdue and that is a that's a weird line to me man really though why because I feel like the public is going to be all over Purdue plus three like that's probably probably I I mean I I I mean some of the sharps might be too though because Wisconsin's all I know is you very good
0: all I know is that if you look at like analytics and stuff like that which I mean let's I mean, I know people don't. Some people don't like analytics, but these are mostly predictive models for gambling purposes. Um, and also, you look at Vegas. I think Wisconsin and Iowa are virtually the same team. And so, why wouldn't like so why wouldn't uh, why wouldn't Wisconsin be favored here? Wisconsin and Iowa. I mean, it's
2: is that based off of uh, their offenses both being pretty bad? Because yeah, mean, essentially, like, Iowa's got to be way better than Wisconsin.
0: Now, nah, per SP Plus, essentially the only difference between Wisconsin and Iowa's defense is is Iowa's turnover luck.
2: Hmm. Yeah, they've forced a lot of turnovers this year. That's it's insane.
0: Let's see. Last season, these two teams didn't play; it was canceled. <laughs> That's so I mean the so here's 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 the question as a gambler in this game: Are you going with Wisconsin's track record? And they and the analytics stuff that still says uh, the analytics don't say that say that Wisconsin's offense is bad, uh, but they are, are saying they still have a top 10 defense. Um, and are you going with the Wisconsin track record against a Purdue team that has shown an ability to, to spring a big upset with Brom there, but generally speaking have just been extremely wishy-washy and, and not consistent whatsoever. I guess. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is an easy Wisconsin bet for me. Very easy,
2: so this' is good stuff yeah i uh like i understand I understand the argument, and i I kind of understand both sides i I know it's probably a a Joe Schmo play, but i I'm gonna guess that, yeah, you know, without doing any research, I'm gonna guess that Wisconsin's probably had a lot of success against Purdue historically. And so, you know, matchup base, this is probably not a great matchup for Purdue. So that probably factors in as well.
0: Ah, oh, man. So I'm, I'm basically talking myself out of Purdue. I mean, this is it, the, I mean, this is the same Purdue team that lost to Minnesota at home two weeks ago. Um, I think they've lost to other not great teams. I think, yeah, I mean, this is there's definitely going to be an overreaction probably on the public here with Purdue beating Iowa. Yeah. Um, and that's why that's why you go the other way. That's why you go with the more sure bet historically. And that's still and there is stuff happening with with Wisconsin this season that does track with their with historically what they've been as well. All right. Yeah, you've talked me into it. You've talked me off of or, Purdue, or is you know, or I mean the 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 alternative argument would be every college football season is unique, and Wisconsin is just not having a good season, and this is a game that. You know, if you're having a bad season, you typically don't win. I, uh, You know, I that's, that's more of a feel and that's more of an intuition type thing, which obviously in gambling can be really valuable sometimes. But in this instance, I don't know enough about Purdue. I know a lot about Wisconsin. So there you go.
2: And I can guarantee you that before last week, if Wisconsin right now is a three-point favorite on the road against Purdue, before Purdue beat Iowa, I bet Wisconsin was probably something like a touchdown favorite I, I bet that line adjusted quite a bit so in theory you're getting some value here with wisconsin which is the point i think you just made a moment ago where you know it's Purdue's coming off this big win you kind of go the other way i get that so i will also pick wisconsin i'll, I'll go wisconsin i think your handicap was pretty good all right these next two games are super interesting and they're going to test us because we've been talking about this betting principle a lot this year on this podcast so oklahoma state now ranked number eight in the country, is at Iowa State. And Iowa State is a seven-point favorite, a full touchdown favorite against Oklahoma State. Now, I'm not surprised that Iowa State is favored. It does seem a little high, though. I mean, Texas was a five-and-a-half-point favorite last week. I guess they're saying Iowa State's a better team than Texas. Okay, yeah. I... It's the betting principle. So, yeah, the betting principle, I just, yeah, you're right. So, it's an unranked team at home as a favorite over a ranked team and the betting principle that we've used a lot this year is you go with the home team and it's worked out a decent amount for us i think it may have worked out every time <laughs> so i mean this line is telling you take iowa state i mean they think iowa state's a lot better than oklahoma state
0: this line is this line is 100 the analytic the analytical models which really like iowa state and don't like oklahoma state that much um I, like I know SP+ I think Iowa State is 11 or 12 and SP+ and Oklahoma State is 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 around 30 I think. So, um hmm. yeah, I mean Oklahoma State's probably probably pretty lucky where where they are right now being undefeated. Um I I'll I'll go with Iowa State here just to stick with the betting principle, although I do think um right a, a, an interesting kind of, you know, competing of of narratives again, right? Is kind of in that last one. It's like, you know, do I do I go the other way with Wisconsin and Purdue despite what the analytical models are saying and what other stuff like history is saying? And do you go with Purdue just because you think, "Ah, Wisconsin's just having a bad season and I don't want to be on that side." Um, I think it's kind of a similar here thing with this game. Do you go with kind of the magical first half of the season that Oklahoma State is having? Are they do they just is this are they just having a good season? Um, or do you go with what Kind of the, the computers and what the nerds say with Iowa State saying, you know, on a play-by-play basis, this, is, this team is every bit as good as we thought they were. Uh, they've just had bad luck in a couple games and lost a couple games. That's the narrative. Yeah, I, uh, I'm going to lean Oklahoma State
2: plus the points, and it's the same. I think Mike Gundy's a lot better of a coach as an underdog, and especially as a top-ten team, he can play up the underdog role now. As a top 10 team, they can be the, we're not, I mean, they're a somewhat big underdog. And nobody believes in this Oklahoma State team, and, and, and I get it. And I'm going against the betting principle,
0: which I kind of hate. But I, you know, I, here's my, I, here's my handicap if I were to be, if, if, if I were to take Oklahoma State, right? I would be thinking to myself, Mike Gundy historically has been really good against Matt Campbell. Um, Oklahoma State has shown an ability this season to attack the same type of defense that Iowa State is going to show on Saturday. Oklahoma State had some really nice, schemed-up stuff against Kansas State about a month or so ago. And Kansas State is running the Iowa State defense now. Um, And also, I still don't think Iowa State's offense is that particularly explosive. And going against an Oklahoma State defense that I think is probably top 10, top 15 in the country, I think if you're not an explosive offense, that can give you problems. Um, so that, I mean, that's the logic I think for picking Oklahoma state, but I, I mean, Iowa state's defense has been just as good statistically as Oklahoma state's has this season. Um, and Oklahoma state's offense has struggled much more with explosiveness than Iowa state has. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is one where it's just like, I, my, my initial reaction was to, was to jump on Oklahoma state. And then I'm just like, nah, I mean, I, I really do think they're, they're saying something with that line. And also going with the betting principle, uh, I think I think Iowa State is probably the better. Although I mean I I don't I mean if you want to back the number eight team in the country getting a full touchdown on the road against an unranked, I I think that's perfectly reasonable as well.
2: I think that was a great handicap for Oklahoma State, and I think that one of the biggest parts of that is how well Oklahoma State's played against Iowa State of late against Matt Campbell, and they have they've I mean they won there in Ames two years ago, they beat them last year. So, I I think that's a big part of it. So, I'm going to go Oklahoma State, getting the full touchdown there. And how about this? This next game, it's the same betting principle, and it's it's almost the same situation. The point spread's a little different, but UCLA is unranked and at home, and they're giving two points to number 10 Oregon. So, that means we have two top 10 teams on the road going against unranked teams this week, Grant, that are both underdogs? And I tweeted this out earlier today. I, I don't, like, I'm not, I'm not an expert, I'm not a historian, but has this ever happened before? We got two top 10 teams against unranked opponents, both as underdogs in the same week? That seems like it's got to be pretty rare.
0: I mean, I got to think that's rare. I bet it's happened before. Like, I mean, yeah. man, 2007, there were so many random top 10 teams that season. It, it yeah. had to have happened at some point in time. This one's tough, man. And when it comes to the Pac-12, I have no idea.
2: Like, I have no clue. Yeah, we were on the uh, opposite sides of that UCLA-Washington game, and that was one of those lines where I was like, I don't understand this line. I think UCLA is better than Washington, yet Washington is favored. And UCLA ended up winning by a touchdown. I didn't see the game. Maybe, you know, maybe UCLA, maybe it was was obviously a close game. It was only a touchdown difference. But, I mean, I thought, I mean, I would have guessed UCLA would have,
0: maybe one by more than just a touchdown. So I'm actually, I'm going to go the opposite direction on this one. I'm I, I'll, I'll go Oregon on this one. Um, I don't know, man. I, I like, I just, I don't really trust UCLA. They've looked ever since they beat what we now know is an extremely flawed LSU team. They've been sketchy. They've been super sketchy.
2: Yeah, they're five and two. They've lost to Fresno state. Who's a pretty good team this season. And they lost to Arizona State, who's a pretty good team this season. So, I mean, they've the two games they've lost have not been terrible losses, uh, and especially in hindsight. What has Oregon done? Oregon had not done they much just, since that Ohio State game, They lost State to Stanford. Game,
0: right? um, oh, they right. lost to Stanford. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is a game I could easily kick myself on just because, I mean, I do think... I mean, I'll say, I mean, I don't think Oregon's coaching staff is very good. I think mean, they can recruit. But I think, you know, past that, they leave a lot to be desired. Um, I mean, just just look no further than Justin Herbert being amazing and him being just woefully average in college <laughs> from an effectiveness and statistical standpoint. I'm going to go UCLA with the, the Chip
2: Kelly revenge oh. game, even though I'm pretty sure Chip Kelly has nothing against Oregon. He just kind of left there to go to the NFL. So <laughs> uh, I'll go with that. That's kind of an interesting little subplot, even though I know they've played each other before. Okay, another interesting... I mean, all of these games are kind of interesting because of their point spreads, I, I think. So, Clemson. We've talked about Clemson a lot on this podcast over the last four years because they're always really good. So, Clemson's unranked now. And they're at Pitt, who is number 23. And Pitt is a three-point favorite. When was the last time... I'm sure I could probably Google this. When was the last time Clemson was an underdog in an ACC game? It's got to be years. I, I mean...
0: Yeah, I I mean, probably like 2015 or 2016, I would guess. So I look... 2014,
2: maybe? Here we go. The last time... I think it might have been 2016. Let's see. Lamar Jackson? I'm looking at a... Okay, this is from this, this week. So it says, Clemson has opened as an underdog against ACC opposition... For the first time since 2014. Wow. That, uh, holy cow. Okay, well, (laughs) here's the thing. Oklahoma has more recently been an underdog against a Big 12 team than uh, Clemson has. Because I was looking back at that 2017 game against Oklahoma State in Stillwater. Oklahoma State was a small home favorite. It was like a point and a half over OU. So just random random fact there. So, anyways, I just I saw this number. It's not analytical. It's just hard stats. We talked about Kansas briefly on this podcast. Did you know, Grant, that Kansas's
0: offense and
2: Clemson's offense are basically like statistically almost on
0: par? Yeah, Clemson's offense is is really bad. Like, I mean, it's the 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 way that it's fallen off is actually like it's pretty it's kind of unprecedented for a team that was at their tier. Um, it's obscene, but I, I mean the, but the, you know, the rub of that is that Clemson's defense is still excellent. I mean, it's still been very good. Um, they're putting a lot of really tough spots, uh, and they're, they've still <laughs> been excellent. Clemson's an interesting one, man. That's a, that's one where the analytics still like them. Um, I mean, I think they're fourth in SP plus, um, that's that's one of those things where it's just like I don't, I just I don't get that at this point in time. Um SP Plus likes Pitt a lot too. Pitt's Pitt's been really good this season uh, on offense. So man, I I don't know about this one. I I think I lean Pitt just because they've been so explosive on offense. Um, I feel like they could maybe penetrate that Clemson defense a little better. And I mean, just Frank, Clemson has struggled on offense against everybody. Anyone with a pulse. Clemson has struggled with they can't they can't block anybody and I think in football someone told me that's a problem <laughs> uh, just uh drive home Clemson's offense and Kansas's
2: offense Clemson's averaging 322 yards per game Kansas 321 Clemson's averaging 4.95 yards per play oh Kansas five yards per play I oh my god I mean that's so bad uh I'm on pit as well I'm not going to back a team that can't move the ball and score. Lastly, number 18, NC State, three-point favorite at Miami, and I can probably guess who you're going to pick here, Grant, because I think we're going go to go the same way. I'm going to go NC State. Uh, Miami, how about, I mean, NC State, uh, let's see. My Actually, you no, know, this is a weird line. Because, okay, this is why I put this in there. Miami is two and four, and NC State's you know ranked and having a pretty good year, but it's only a three-point line. So, People must still kind of like Miami or else this would be a little bit bigger. Uh I I don't have any I haven't watched these teams play much at all. I just threw this in there to see if you had anything to say on it. I'm going to go NC State. That's the uh that's the square play.
0: Grant, what do you think? I'll go with Miami. Just because it's a you know, I mean it's a fairly large I mean it's it's full on going by the numbers on that one and just the line is fishy. And you know, I think when the line is fishy like that, I have to completely, you know, reevaluate my priors. Yeah, as much as sense. I hate it, as 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 much as this, you know, I mean, because I have to make I have to make a pick here, and this is strictly going against my fade Manny Diaz principle. But what about Manny
2: Diaz getting points?
0: He's getting points. Yeah, you know, I mean, this is yeah. I, th- I think Miami is the pick here.
2: I mean, you got a three point. A team getting three points at home. Miami has lost back-to-back games by a combined five points. Virginia and at North Carolina. So, I don't know. Yeah, like Derek King's not playing. He's been out for a few games now. I'm starting to talk myself into Miami, actually, now I think about it. Nah, just for fun. I'll stick with NC State to be different. All right. So, go over our picks. We're both on Wisconsin over Purdue. Wisconsin minus three grant you're laying the seven with iowa state i am taking the seven with oklahoma state grant you are taking the two with oregon i am laying the two with ucla we are both taking Pitt minus three over clemson and i am taking nc state minus three over miami grant you are taking the hurricanes plus three over the Wolfpack. hopefully we both go wait no, we can't both go five and oh that doesn't make sense we have different picks Okay, um, all right, so we found a way to make a Kansas podcast almost two hours long. You are welcome, West of Everest listeners. Uh, Grant, any final thoughts before we wrap this bad boy up?
0: No, just, uh, gosh, man, no more injuries, no more. And I hope, right. uh, I, hope it's a, I hope it is a chaos-filled college football Saturday, and I hope all of that chaos does not touch Lawrence, Kansas. Well said. All
2: right, we will be back after OUKU with our post-game thoughts either on Sunday or on Monday, depending on when I get that uploaded to SoundCloud. So until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.